What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Built on Bitcoin podcast, where we cover everything going on in the Stacks ecosystem. And today we have our first guest on the show, an OG in the crypto space, Patrick Stanley is here today. Patrick was the previous head of growth at Blockstack and is the current CEO of Freehold, which has recently just helped launch a innovative new concept called CityCoins, which is a community-driven project that aims to better align the incentives of local government and its citizens by leveraging crypto. We talk about how we got into crypto, city coins, and a bunch of other stuff. Without wasting any more of your time, let's get into the episode with Patrick Stanley. Patrick, thanks for coming on the show. How are you doing today, my friend? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. I want to start with the most important question, which is, are you Satoshi Nakamoto? <laughs> no. Okay. Satoshi was a genius. Probably no one will ever know who they are. Yeah. I asked a couple people if I should ask that, and they were like, no, man, he's too young. It can't be him. And I'm like, but we're putting it in age brackets now. Like, he has to be past 19, whatever. So I got some questions, and I want to start on your LinkedIn page. I saw that you went to Johns Hopkins studying economics and psychology, which seems like a pretty deadly combo for understanding the incentive structures and the game theory that makes crypto really, really work. How did you get exposed to crypto? What was the thing that sent you down the rabbit hole? Yeah, and I'll just say to preface, college just gives you a menu of course options. It doesn't necessarily teach you the most critical things that are going to be useful in the real world. And I'd say, you know, my focus was psychology and economics, both essentially, both are like pretty dismal sciences to, you know, to use the pun, the term rather. And I learned so much more by working on crypto directly. So like kind of have sour grapes on, on the whole college experience. Didn't really feel like I, I learned a whole lot. Um, not, not very bullish on John Hopkins. But in terms of like when I got into crypto, got into crypto like a year or two after college. So 2012. And I first heard about Bitcoin and, you know, it was trading at, gosh, I forget. It was under $90. Uh, I'm almost positive. Might have been in a low double digit sometime when a crash had happened. But all I remember, my sort of foggy memory there is like, this seems cool. I wonder if it'll last. And me and my brother like bought a bunch and, you know, we, we like buy a bunch, I mean like a handful and, you know, we like sold it at some point in time. And that was a huge mistake, but yeah, kind of got in through that. And it was funny because I don't know which came first, whether I was asking the question of what is money or whether Bitcoin prompted that question. But around that time I started, you know, diving down that, that rabbit hole a bit deeper and it's a good one to explore and it kind of uh, gives you an appreciation for what Bitcoin is. Yeah, I know. I, th I feel like that's the first question that once you kind of get the first inkling of what crypto is, is you start to ask like, well, why does it even have value then? And then you're like, well, why does anything have value? Why does my paper and my wallet have value? And mm -hmm. you start to kind of go down that rabbit hole of like narrative and we're all kind of like connected by that. So as long as our counterparty agrees, then it does have value. It's pretty wild that we didn't have 24-7 tradable markets for essentially anything you could imagine being valued before Satoshi came along. That is a great point. Yeah, I realized that because I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll just hop in here and buy this, buy that. And you realize that it, 
it almost feels like you're cheating when you do it at first because it's so against the norm when uh, you missed your window to buy Tesla because the stock exchange closed. Yeah, I went to the sure. mall to see the price move. I'm sure that's how digit feudal serfs felt when they were becoming a part of the mercantile class. This feels like, you know, we shouldn't be doing this. It's like, well, actually, you know, markets are essentially just going to eat everything and everyone's going to become an investor and you're either going to be in the small minority of people not participating in that or you're going to participate in it. And I think it's going to essentially make the whole world wealthier. It's like everyone essentially is agreeing to opt into various coins. It doesn't have to be Bitcoin. It can be other coins too. And, you know, people can decide their value. People decide Ethereum is worth X. People decide Dogecoin is worth Y. And I think we're going to break that feeling pretty soon. I feel like we're definitely also sort of crossing the chasm into more mainstream with NFTs, essentially the whole crypto. I think NFTs definitely help crossing the chasm into public discourse. El Salvador buying Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. It's a nation state that is understanding that they need to hodl for their own self-sovereignty. It's only going to continue from here. 100%. Yeah, I think... The, the earliest movers, just like you buying Bitcoin at $90, uh, are going to reap the, the most rewards. And we're already kind of seeing, kind of like with the Brian Armstrong tweet thread last night, where we're seeing the institutions and the powers that be start to push back and not really be, not really be fair participants in trying to make it a fair game or even understand it. But I agree, like the... It seems like the energy is already too far gone, even though to the average person, we're just, they have no idea. If people in Congress hold crypto, more and more of their kids, their kids' kids, they hold them themselves. What you're seeing with, well, what you're seeing with Brian Armstrong, by the way, is, is um, maybe this will age poorly, but for the time being, I think it looks genius because what he's doing is he's creating an inhospitable court of public opinion prior to any potential move that the SEC could make. Essentially, he's questioning the SEC's legitimacy publicly and to great fanfare. And essentially, the waters that they have, the SEC has to climb into now would further ruin their legitimacy if they were to prosecute Coinbase. And additionally, or sue Coinbase, rather. And additionally, they sent a signal that crypto is not welcome in the U.S., the fastest-growing industry that could be, you know, the multi... like. The, the, the tens of trillions of dollar, if not hundreds of trillions of dollar, you know, cash cow and sort of like, you know, new economy. And if you're going to push that out of America, crypto founders are way, way, way more mobile than tech founders. Not all of them are going to leave the US, but many of them will, or they'll go pseudonymous, you know? So it's really kind of an own goal, in my opinion. It does draw, it does like, I'm, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I never, I try not to jump to conclusions that are unfounded or, or not empirical, but it does call into question, like, who benefits from this? Is it customers? Doesn't, it's not clear that the customers benefit from it. It seems like, seems like everyone's pretty much loving these types of products and they're willing participants. So who does it benefit? You know, banks have really low APYs, like below 0.4%. Sometimes banks have like 1.1% APY. 10 basis points of APY does not compete with 400 basis points of APY mm-hmm. in a cryptocurrency, you know, in cryptocurrencies that have the potential to go up in value, which they have uh, pretty consistently over the dollar. So when people are not, people are investing in saving 
um, in crypto and not on fiat rails anymore. Like I know a lot of people that don't even own stocks. They're like, I'm not messing with stocks. That's, mm-hmm. like, you know, stocks are just le- are just like are just like crypto on on less good tech. Like that's how they're viewing it, sort of. Mm. Yeah, no, I think I think you hit it spot on because if you look at what they're targeting, they're targeting the lending program of it where you can park your assets and then gain a yield on it. And the yields that you can get from crypto are so astronomically higher than what you can get in the traditional markets that they can't even compete. So the only real option is to block it or to jump on ship. And because they probably already feel like it's too late or they can't control it, they leapfrogged and went for Coinbase instead of talking to any of the prior um, providers that have been doing the exact same thing for years now. Yeah, and they're doing it, and they're doing it. I mean, the way that he phrased it too, it was about just tell us what to do. It was like we want to play ball with you. We're trying to be as legal and legitimate as possible. But yeah, yeah, exactly. And and he's saying tell us what to do, and the SEC was leaving enough. Um, leaving enough sort of like vagueness so that they have the right to prosecute at any time and keep the book open and essentially uh, scare Coinbase. This is very similar to, to like, just put it this way, like they're trying to bully Coinbase. They're not trying to work with Coinbase. And that is drawing into question their legitimacy. And my fear is that because we've like crossed the sort of Rubicon here, the SEC, just like the WHO, have gotten to a point, at least on crypto Twitter, which might be the court of public opinion, the only court of public opinion that ultimately matters, or maybe one one of the one of the two or three, but significant nonetheless. They've crossed the Rubicon. They're being seen as not legitimate in the eyes of too many people online, and people are going to have a hard time unseeing what they did to Coinbase unless the SEC can respond with some guidance or, or essentially. And, you know, close the book and move on from that particular incident with Coinbase. But so if they do either of those things, they can likely preserve some of the reputation, in my opinion, and continue doing those scare tactics until they cross the line with some other company that does the same thing. So my fear is that uh, at some point in time, when the legitimacy is damaged enough, people are essentially going to like th- th- there will be people that that don't respond to them the way they're used to being responded to. Let's put it that way. Like, and I think that could cause them to become more draconian and more um, seemingly unreasonable and threatening to one of America's biggest potential, you know, economies of growth. And that makes perfect sense. And it's one of those things where even if you were just to say. Like, we're not sure what we're not sure of. Just inviting people to the table and having discussions is going to give you the the fastest education and like the actual, uh, like at the base level learning to not make mistakes going forward from crypto policy to transparency, any of those things. They didn't expect anyone to blow up their spot. Yeah, I think when you're when you're the top dog in the ivory castle, it's kind of hard to feel like you have anybody that can come at you. But people are going to do this more and more. They're going to tell their stories of of bullying. That's going to be a thing now. Like Armstrong broke that seal. That's that's going to be something people do. Um, yeah. Do we, should we talk about another topic though? 
yeah, let's move on. Before we go to City Coins, I want to talk about your time at Blockstack. And you were the head of growth there. First, can you place me? When did you join them? Uh, and what was your what was your kind of day-to-day activities mm-hmm. at the at the project? Sure. So um I found out I was taking some time off to just like travel, read books, you know, figure out what I want to do next in life in 2016. And I found Blockstack and I was like, oh my God, this is great. And because it really lined up with a lot of my thinking on essentially Bitcoin being this like foundation for, you know, essentially like new civilization or, or at least the financial internet. And to me, it had to be Bitcoin. There's a lot of things going into it beyond the first mover, you know, the security, the kind of like hardness of it. And, and while I think people will invest in other coins and that's great, I think uh, Bitcoin will be the category winner for such a long time that people will begin to develop applications on top of them. Like, you know, applications that protect your data, applications that, um, you know, leverage Bitcoin for new financial rails like DeFi. And I interviewed them. I was in, I was in Zurich at the time for some reason and um, interviewed with the founders. There was like one other full-time employee and then like one contractor working there. And you know, I, I prepped for the interview by creating a 22 page, I think it's like 20 to 22 page slide deck. Mm-hmm. That took me two, that took me two weeks to create. And part of the reason I prepped so hard is just Blockstack really fell very neatly into kind of what I was betting on in the future. So like I had to get this job. Like these were, you know, PhDs from Princeton who, you know, have already built a lot of the sort of rails for success. And so when I started working, you know, they, they accepted me, thankfully. And when I started working there, I essentially was just like growth community, essentially it was like community and quickly like hired folks and I became head of growth within, I think it was like under a year and was their head of growth for a few years. It was great. We got like hundreds of applications built. Um, you know, we came up with the new proof of transfer consensus mechanism while I was there. I got on the white paper and, and you know, I think there's a publicly held uh, sort of patent around that. Um, that was like a really exciting, exciting, exciting time. And I'm even more confident, even more excited, honestly, now I've never been this confident, never been this excited. And I think there's a lot of hard to ignore factors uh, about stacks that, that are, you know, making me optimistic about its future and the future. Glad I glad I joined the team. I can't imagine it otherwise. And there was one video that they released. So when you go to their Stacks YouTube, they have like six million views, but almost all of them are on one video that explains what Blackstack is. Did you have a hand in creating that video? Um, yes, I had a hand in creating that video. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a brilliant brilliant uh, video that's super well done. Uh, and I was just curious, like about the timing. Thanks, and and that that actually, you know, it's funny. Like Blockstack kind of built the last pieces first, and then the first pieces last, leading up to two, to the Stack 2.0 network upgrade. And essentially, where they started with was data privacy using like, a specific Bitcoin anchored user ID that could be used to like sign into applications that were ultra private, ultra secure. So like we have all this really high performance privacy tech that's like already exists. And we worked on the sort of like 
smart contracts for Bitcoin stuff next, which is like popping off right now. And yeah, yeah, so like that video is a little dated, but I think it'll become more relevant probably in like the year 2028 or something. Interesting. Yeah, I think Muneeb said one time that when everyone else zigs, stacks zags and like- Not on purpose, not on purpose. (laughs) It's it's like by accident. It it just makes sense. You guys are just going full steam and you just happen to go against whatever the rest of the market's currently doing. (laughs) It's a, it's a very kind way of putting it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so one of the yeah one of the brilliant things that Stacks brings to life is the proof of transfer mechanism, and mm-hmm. it's one of those things where when you're trying to describe crypto to an average Joe, it's already somewhat difficult. There's mm-hmm. like eight layers of abstraction you got to go through, mm-hmm. and the proof of transfer mechanism and stacking is just ten levels deeper. But once you get it, mm-hmm. it's it's genius. It's absolute genius. And yeah. the the city coins use of that, I think the more I look into city coins and do research on it, the more I think it's also genius because when you look at how change happens for these kind of like polarizing topics, mm-hmm. it usually happens local first. And then as a, they become like a proof of concept and then it expands from there. Totally. And so I can see how like it started with marriage rights and then it was legal marijuana. And I can I can see in a future city coins and Miami coin being the kind of Trojan horse that like becomes the catalyst that goes across the country. What you want is, you know, elected governments, like the governance model we have to elect our politicians, I think is directionally good. Like we don't need to, we probably don't need to change that very much except for like maybe like ranked order of voting being more popular. But I think like by and large, some of our institutions are worth saving. You know, I don't really believe in like crypto anarchy. I think if you can equip, you know, old institutions that are, if you can equip old institutions that, you know, have to do a job, like someone's got to do it, they're doing it with new technology that keeps them accountable, that adds a new point of leverage for them to use. It's like a new opportunity to be, to be competed with. I essentially think you can upgrade them and preserve some of the kind of good elements of what we have in local government and also enhance with some of the tools that we have with crypto. And so, you know, 200 years from now, it's not like, do you really think we're going to be organized in the exact same way we are today with like same technology, same voting systems, you know, same, same everything, like probably not. And I think what's really interesting about this whole city coins model is the alignment of incentives. So like the cities align because they earn more the more the protocol is used. The coin holders are aligned because they also earn more as the protocol is used. And they have like, um, they have an incentive for the success of both the city, but also the protocol. Maybe you could just, you know, call them one and the same. And I think that's pretty great. Like when I look at a city like San Francisco, like that's a beautiful, that's actually a beautiful city. Location is beautiful. Um, a lot of the parks are beautiful, a lot of rich history, great architecture, good food, but it's got all sorts of issues with it. And, you know, I, I think just living there or whatever, I feel like people have their day-to-day jobs. They're like, you know, a lot of the population is like so exhausted by the time the day is over. They're not going to like town hall meetings. They're not moving around their community, papering, flyering. And I think in some some part, you end up getting elected. One, you end up getting elected officials who don't truly represent what the community is actually asking for. That's that's one thing. Just as a as like a side note, 
But two, sometimes you get a negative, a bias toward change coming from the people who have the most time on their hands or the people who have the biggest meme allergy to the thing. You know, like, for example, if you have a meeting on like, should we preserve outdoor dining? You're going to get a bunch of people showing up to that thing that have weren't experiencing outdoor dining, that they live next to a place that does outdoor dining and they all show up and they're just enraged and you think, oh, the whole, the whole town doesn't want this. You know, with city coins, you can vote with your coins effectively directionally. So like if you're holding the coin, you're committed to the city. If you buy the coin, you're bullish on city leadership and the capital allocation of that of how that city's handling their, their capital. If you sell the coin, you're bearish on city leadership and you're bearish on how the capital is being allocated. And you can always program apps for the coin if you want to. So there's, that, there's always that option. But I think the voting aspect in, in that sense is very, very interesting. Maybe in the future, it'll get more granular and people can vote on like civic items. But like directionally voting, I think is like really cool. I think it's brilliant that you can, it gives you a much faster feedback loop that doesn't exist currently. Big time. My friend, well, new acquaintance, uh, more so Jack Butcher, who's like phenomenal at design. Yeah, I'm aware of him. Yeah. Simply. He, um, he had this really good tweet. The tweet was, is very concise. It was, it used to be big if true. Now it's true if big. And when I was reading that quote, maybe markets were on my mind, but I was thinking like, you know, the market, the market is, is kind of like the voting system or the way, you know, the, the weighing system in terms of like what the truth of the matter of something is. If enough people want a truth to be a thing, they'll put their money where their mouth is and that'll be reflected in the market. And I just think that quote is like a, that, that's like an underappreciated quote from crypto Twitter that relates to this a bit. I like that. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so we're in, I think we're a little over a month since City Coins launched and there's been mining going on, which people have been going crazy for. How much has been raised for the city as of right now? Yeah. So before the little market dip a couple of days ago, we, as a community, contributed to $4 million worth of stacks reserved for the city. That's insane. Yeah. And this is like people opting into a tax. Yeah. No, exactly <laughs> right. Like the voting mechanism and the most important thing that people vote for or vote with is their dollars. Because, you know, oh. most people live paycheck to paycheck. So they're not as mobile as they could be. But if you spend some of your hard-earned dollars on this thing, it, it speaks volumes. Mm-hmm. Um. I heard there's a vote on the 13th. What What is that vote voting on uh, exactly? Yeah, so Miami Gov, their commission just votes on whether they can accept uh, a sort of protocol donation or contribution, if you will, that okay. being the, the 4 million and, and all the subsequent earnings it earns. It's like CityCoin is effectively as a protocol donating directly to the city ongoingly. And and the vote is for not uh, CityCoin specifically, the vote, but for crypto? The, the vote is to, no, no, no. The vote is to accept the protocol contribution. Initially, okay. they're going to receive all of it in USD. So they'll have a trusted third party that automatically converts, like automatically converts all their earnings to USD. Interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's, that's good to know. Because my next question was, 
if they have to secure their bag in stacks and then convert it, that's a whole different layer of, you know, I legal mean, troubles, but you're going straight, you're, you're nipping that in the butt before you even get there to remove. They'll, they'll eventually be able to hold crypto. I think like they're, they're, they're on it. Like they're, they're asking for it. They're trying to do it with the Florida state legislature, but you know, maybe the, the community can demand it and like, you know, put, like speak up. So it's not just them working on it, but they're definitely on it. And once they do that, it'd be very interesting to see if they use their stacks earnings from what the miners send to mine new Miami coin. If they use the stacks earnings to mine their own coin. I think that'd be great. Interesting. That'd be like, I think that'd actually be very healthy. Okay. I want to be respectful of your time. So I've got a couple more questions. Uh, you, you have a hackathon going on right now. What have you seen that's coming down the pipeline? Anything you can disclose? Yeah, for sure. Well, I'm, you know, this is all viewable in chat.citycoins.co uh, Discord server. Like everyone just like kind of you know, pushing, pushing things out there and I'm watching them. So one, one app is called Miami Voice, essentially allows the demo app to demo what voting on specific agenda items would look like using your Miami coin. So maybe, I don't know if they're requiring you to spend your Miami coin or just like stake it or delegate it or something, but they're working on that. Um, and you know, presumably if, if you got Miami Gov to adopt something like that and it, and it stops being a demo, that would be very interesting because you'd essentially have the market, you know, kind of like voting on things on a granular level in terms of what they want the city to spend their funds on. Um, another thing someone is making is uh, essentially like a visualization dashboard that shows the current amount stacked and, and allows you to like mine and stack and all this good stuff. Um, there's a handful of others. Oh, there's the one that's like a proof of HODL uh, access control to physical spaces. So imagine if you have like Miami Coin Cafe, and you're like all the coffee is free if you, you know, prove you hold some Miami Coin. Yeah. You know? Or, that, one's, or, that one's brilliant. That has so much utility. Yeah, I think it, it, it's kind of like a whimsical idea in, in some in some ways, but it also is kind of fascinating because like imagine if you had proof of HODL access control for Miami coin holders in Berlin. It's like that, you know, that apartment or cafe temporarily becomes like a Miami embassy in a way. Oh, yeah. Or it can be like a Miami coin timeshare where you can kind of like mm-hmm. pop in, pop out because you're part of the you're part of the uh totally yeah like we like like we work or a soho house exactly yeah yep that's smart okay what do you have on the roadmap for i won't say next city but i'm curious in the next year what is what are you guys working on and so i mean you, you, you should ask yourself like we're we're all a part of one big community and i think we collectively have to figure that out but if it you know if it were some something I'm going to like mention to the community as something to like discuss and decide if it's a good idea is, you know, right now we're on first base with Miami and, you know, we recorded this prior to September 13th. So people are listening to this now. Miami will have either picked up their protocol contribution on the 13th or not. Uh, but if they do, that's like fully on first base. Second, like third base looks like you know, there's a lot of qualified cities that can just activate themselves, you know, like maybe the mayor like puts laser beams in their eyes and like, boom, the code to begin mining that coin just initiates. Like that's, that's like third base. Uh, Second base, I think, second base, I think is like, we as a community come together and say, hey, 
Miami deserves good company. We're not going to go from like Miami to, you know, small town USA. Because yeah. that would actually hurt Miami's brand for one. And secondly, I mean, it just hurt Miami's brand and it hurt the whole ecosystem's brand. We should just keep our expectations very high and continue on with awesome cities. But maybe keep the focus on just a few in the early days so people's attention isn't so diffused or distracted. And if I were, you know, you, you could think of like some, you know, some things that community members have like posted that actually like turned into a survey was New York, Singapore, Seoul. Those are like two world, those are three world-class cities mm-hmm. that all have their, their like major pluses to them and very few minuses. I think that would make sense to like move forward with the really great cities. And then, then you have more optionality. It's like, okay, you have Miami. Imagine if you got all four. Imagine if you have Miami, New York, Singapore, Seoul. And you then expand. It's like anything could be next to that point. You can do like London or Paris or whatever. But you know, your chances of getting London and Paris and, all, and other big cities like Hong Kong or whatever, you know, are probably less likely if you just open it up completely to any city in the world that wants to do it. I think you get, I think it makes sense to have a very measured approach, but you know, fast growing when the time comes to grow fast. Yeah, I can see that. And I can also see a time frame or kind of like a tidal wave where as it grows and grows, you kind of see how cities compete for an Amazon HQ, where a city will be doing its own kind of like grassroots efforts to wow Patrick to come to our city. And they don't, again, they don't have to wow me. They have to wow the city coins community. Like the city coins community has to be like, yes, you know, we're going to start mining that coin. And like, I, I just think there's way, way, way more of a dance that's happening between the city and the community than you're kind of just describing. And, and I think it's really important because if you don't have the city opted in, that's not great. And if you don't have the community opted in, there's kind of no coin, you know? So they both kind of, they both kind of make that agreement with each other before proceeding sort of thing. That, that makes sense. I think I'm, I'm newer to crypto and I'm even more new to open source. And I think it's almost like a, there's like a brain rewiring that happens where you go mm-hmm. from the traditional world of top-down leadership and mm-hmm. clear directives to open source, build whatever you want, and people will hop in and out as they please because mm-hmm. they like the idea. And the better the idea, the stronger the community. Yeah, definitely. And there are very few things that like huh, truly don't have a leader. Like Bitcoin is... One of the other things, it's like the meme is the message. People will spread the message and spread the meme and do do the only work they have to kind of thing. Um, right on. Last question, and this is from someone in the community. They want to know, are you guys going to have a presence at Bitcoin Miami 2022? And if city coins are being planned on use in any, any capacity? Hmm. I mean, like, for sure, there's gonna be members of the community that that drop drop down there, and you know, I'm sure there'll be people speaking about it. There'll be like you know, new heroes in in the city coins community that arise from building you know applications or uh, you know being known for a thing within the community and be worth listening to. I think that'll that'll exist, and yeah, I wonder someone should do something like someone should do like a pop up cafe or that or, or like just something cool like some art thing yeah uh well this has been great where can people learn more about the project 
Yeah, so you can go to citycoins.co, C-I-T-Y-C-O-I-N-S dot C-O. And you can follow on Twitter at MineCityCoins. So that's M-I-N-E CityCoins. And uh, I'm Patrick W. Stanley on Twitter. You want to follow? Perfect. Uh, Patrick, thank you for taking the time and being the first guest on the Built on Bitcoin podcast. My pleasure. I think you're you're off to a great a great start with what you're interested in, and I'm excited that you're so excited about city coins. And I think your podcast is going to be a great success. That is the end of the episode. Thank you again for Patrick for taking the time to come on the show. Do go follow him at Patrick W Stanley on Twitter. And if you don't want to miss the next episode of the Built on Bitcoin podcast, subscribe wherever you're listening to this. You can follow me on Twitter at Jake Blockchain or check us out at builtonbitcoin.btc.us. But that's it. Until next time, keep hodling the bag. Hoddle, 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 hoddle. And yeah, peace. Kill the stress to the heat I'm trying to do more for the soul Way less for the bread Oh yes sir uh.